0: from 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 5, this is, of course, Peter's wrapping up his letter at this point, but lots of things that Peter says here, starting at verse 5, actually play along with what we're going to read in just a moment from 1 Chronicles. So 1 Peter 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves All of you, whether it's millennials and Gen Z or Gen Xers or boomers, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And now we turn to First Chronicles 5 as we continue our new series in 1 Chronicles, Reclaim, Revive, Reform, Return. We dealt with the first three chapters, then we dealt with chapter 4. Last week we dealt with chapter 4, specifically focusing mostly upon... Jabez's prayer, where Jabez prays, the name uh, considered more honorable than his brothers, his name it means pain, because his mother bore him in pain, and yet he calls upon the God, the liberating, loyal God, the faithful, freeing God, and he says, oh, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. He prayed for a new denominator, a new direction, a new destiny. And that's where we were at last week, and this week we come to chapter 5. In chapter 5, the chronicler gives us more genealogy, those of, uh, specifically verses 1 through 10, those of Reuben, and then verse 11 through 17, those of Gad. It's very interesting. They were all on the east side. Those of you who remember the Bible story, they were on the east side of the Jordan River. That land that had not been promised to them had been given to them unexpectedly. And so Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh are over there. And so notice the chronology, the genealogy, goes through Reuben, goes through Gad, and then we come to these two stories that are really one story from different directions, going in different directions. So it starts at verse 18. The Reubenites, the Gadites... And the half-tribe of Manasseh had valiant men, Bnei Chayil, sons of valor, who carried shield and sword and drew the bow, expert in war, 44,760, able to go to war. They waged war against the Hagarites, Jeter, Nephish and Nodab. And when they prevailed over them, the Hagarites and all who were with them were given into their hands for... They cried out to God in the battle, and He granted their urgent plea because they trusted in Him. They carried off their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 men alive, for many fell because the war was of God. And they lived in their place until the exile. The members of the half-tribe of Manasseh lived in the land, and they were very numerous, from Bashan to Baal, Hermon to Sinir and Mount Hermon. These were the heads of their fathers' houses, Ephraim, Ishi, Iliel, Israel, Jeremiah, Hodaviah and Jadiel, mighty warriors, famous men, heads of their fathers' houses, but... They broke faith with God, with the God of their fathers and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. And so the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pol, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath, Pilitzer, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and brought them to Halah, Habor, Hara, and the river Gozan to this day. What I've read to you from 1 Peter chapter 5 and what I've summarized and read to you from 1 Chronicles 5, it is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord God, mighty and magnificent, who hears hears the prayers of your people, who is for your people, and to whom belongs the victory, rouse our hearts to be more fully sons and daughters of valor, in this long obedience in the same direction and grant that your word to us this day will fortify us in the name of your son who was raised triumphant over sin and society death and the devil and has ascended to your right hand lord of lords and king of kings amen you may be seated so we'll be focusing right there in first chronicles chapter 5 verses 18 through 26 Years ago, I read a biography on Sergeant Alvin York. You know, Cary Grant did a great job. I think it was Cary Grant did a great job playing Alvin Sergeant York in that black and white movie from World War I. You may not know the story of Sergeant York. He was a drunkard. He was, uh, did quite a bit of stuff, wrecked his life pretty horribly, and then was converted. And he was converted at a church that was pacifistic. And World War I was already on the horizon and beginning to happen. And so he thought that being a faithful follower of Jesus meant to, put, to not do any, be a part of any military or any of those things. And the time came when he was called up for duty. And he wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with himself. And finally he submitted and said, you know, this is my duty before God. And so he went. And you know the story, right? He goes in the most precarious situations in 1917 uh, and 18 he goes and ends up becoming a Medal of Valor winner in a most difficult situation. And so Sergeant York said this one time, it was in the biography, something he had said. The fear of God makes a hero. The fear of man makes a coward. The fear of God makes a hero. The fear of man makes a coward. And there's something in that statement that resonates with our souls. I mean, who wants to be known as a coward, right? Right? Most of us have daydreams, or some of us still do, still have daydreams about doing heroic things, going out in flames and glory, or whatever, you know. Yes. And Sergeant York knew the way. Fear God above and over anything. Or as we're going to sing at the end of the service in our final hymn, the very last verse, Of our final hymn, which is a rendition of one of the Psalms. Fear Him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make you His service your delight. He'll make your wants His care. Fear God. Fearing God gives backbone to be and to do right, even when faced by insurmountable odds. Because truly fearing God is trusting in Him, and trusting in Him means being on the right side of history in the end. As Walter Kaiser put it in a book he wrote called Revive Us Again, quote, The fear of the Lord is nothing less than an attitude of wholehearted trust and glad submission to the living Lord. And that is something of what is being laid out in our biblical text that we're looking at. And so there's really only two points here. It's really one story It's just different episodes in that story, separated by about 600 years, okay? And so the first part of the story is in verses 18 through 22, and the the whole emphasis is on faithful praying and God dependency. And that's our first point, faithful praying and God dependency. And you look at verses 18 through 22, and you can see it. That God stepped in, God stepped in and toppled the foes of his people... He toppled the foes of his people because the people who were the foes were actually opposed to God and God's kingdom. These weren't just their personal adversaries. These foes were opposed to God and God's kingdom. They didn't want God's kingdom to spread, and so they were going to do their part to put a stop to it. And so God toppled the foes of his people, but he toppled the foes of his people because they prayed. They prayed and God answered his people because they kept faith. All of that's right in verse 20. These B'nai K'ayil, that's the Hebrew, these sons of valor feared God and they fought bravely. It's the same kind of thing you heard in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. These sons of valor feared God and they fought bravely. But notice that their fight was clothed with faithful praying. It's right there in verse 20. For they cried out to God in the battle and he granted their urgent plea. And notice it's also because that their fight is also clothed with God dependency. It's right there at the end of verse 20, because they trusted in him. Just like Jabez, just the chapter four in chapter four, Jabez, who was more honorable than his brothers, and prayed to the faithful, freeing God. He prayed to the God of Israel. He prayed to the faithful, freeing God. And God, it says at the end of chapter 4, verse 10, God granted his request. Notice here that these sons of valor prayed, they believed, and God granted their urgent plea. In two chapters, you have the same thing being hammered home for you. It probably means we need to sit up and take notice. He granted their urgent plea... And that's emphasized by more of the details. Notice the language again in verse 20. The foes of God's people were given into their hands. It's not something they went out and able to do with their own strength. God actually made the victory. And then in verse 22. Many fell because the war was of God. Faithful praying and God dependency. Ah, but... Things didn't always stay this way with these people of God. And so picking up then at verse 23 through 26, it's the same set of clans. It's still Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh. Even though it begins verse 23, just talking about the half tribe of Manasseh, that's just simply pulling them out as an illustration. And, but when you get to verse 20, uh, 26, you cannot miss it. It's all of three of these groups Gadites, the Reubenites, and half tribe of Manasseh. Notice that here are the same clans, separated by about six hundred years, verses eighteen through twenty-two, probably happened in the day of Joshua, in the days of Joshua, or the early days of Judges, which is around thirteen hundred BC. And verses twenty-three through twenty-six happen around seven twenty BC when the Assyrians come to conquer the northern tribes. So the same clans, but hundreds of years separation here. And you notice that the same clans now, years later, they broke faith. They broke faith with God. And were as faithless as a prostitute pursuing profit and pleasure. Don't let that language pass you by. I know it makes us uncomfortable. We don't talk this way normally. But they whored after other gods, after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. They were as faithless as a prostitute pursuing profit and pleasure. In fact, the inanity... And the insanity of their actions is exposed in all of its naked, diseased absurdity. Listen again to the language. They hoard after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. They, they went after the gods who were defeated, the vanquished, vulnerable deities of the people who were destroyed. Do you not hear how stupidly insane that is? It's like an alcoholic rejoicing that he's recovered from his alcoholism and then as time goes by he says, but you know what? I had a lot more power. I got my way more often when I was drunk. And he would go back to alcohol. You'd say, you're an idiot. God is saying about his people, you're idiots. Right? They submitted again to the vanquished vulnerable deities, the ones whom God had walloped and defeated And so then, there was no help to come. Instead, there was only defeat and exile. There's a lesson there for us. Be careful of which God we submit to. Here in verses 23 through 26, they find that the God who once fought for them now fights against them. The God who once fought for them now fights against them. My friends, that makes us get kind of butterflies in our tummies. Sometimes you hear people say, well, that Old Testament God, he is so, I don't know, he is like legalistic. I'm so glad we have the New Testament God who's so fluffy and, and cuddly and, and we can shape him and mold him however we want. Oh, did I say that? But I want you to know that's a New Testament principle, what you just heard. They found that the God who once fought for them is now the God who fights against them. You heard it in the New Testament passage we read. When Peter says, God opposes whom? The proud, but he gives grace to whom? The humble. How many gods are in that verse? One God. Right? Good news, bad news. One of those moments, right? Right? And you have pride and humility right here in this First Chronicles passage. The proud whom God opposed are the ones who broke faith with him, who thought they didn't need him, who thought they could go and do their own thing their own way and go chase whatever they wanted after their own libidos and lusts and leisures. They can do it with Frank Sinatra and I did it my way, right? We're going to go this way. That's Arrogance. God's snubbing is arrogance. God opposes the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. The humility, the humble are found in verses 18 through 22. Those who believed God, who trusted in him. Those who depended on God. That's humility. Same God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a New Testament principle. You heard it in the response. Scripture we read before the confession of sin in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so then to go from preaching to meddling, the Spirit-inspired editor makes sure to emphasize. Remember who this is originally written to. He makes sure to emphasize... To the exiles, his fellow exiles, as they're coming out of exile, as they're coming out from underneath the tyrannical hand of Persia, he makes sure to emphasize to them that this hot mess that they have experienced for multiple generations, that this hot mess they've experienced is of their own making. It is of their own making. Making. It's subtly implied in the first story which ends with these words and they lived in that place, in their place until the exile. But then it comes out forcefully at the end of the second episode in verse 26. And so because they broke faith, the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath, Pilitzer, king of Assyria, and took them into exile, namely the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and brought them to Hala Habor, Hara and the river Gozan to this day. Because they broke faith, the God of Israel stirred up the spirits of those who captured them and took them off into exile. Just to remind them again, this hot mess that you've experienced for all these generations is of your own making. You're not a victim. You created the situation because of your God snubbing. And that's the two stories. The message for the people of God returning from exile is very loud and clear. There are several things you can tease out that you know is the message for them as they're coming out of exile, but I'm going to just give you 3. The first one is simply follow the ancient paths. Follow the way where the good the good way where the good way is, where you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6:16. 6, Be a faith-keeping, God-dependent people, verses 18 through 22. And you will find that God Almighty is the hero. Turn your back to the progressive, innovative, new and improved, faith-breaking, pragmatic paths which may feel good. Paths that are shaped often and fueled often by your libidos and your lusts and and your leisures, but... Are ways of treachery and infidelity, even marital infidelity, with regard to God. Take this path. It's really 2 Chronicles 2020. I want kids to start doing this when I say 2 Chronicles 2020, right? I had to wear glasses, so now my vision is 2020 with my glasses. So put your glasses on. 2 Chronicles 2020. Can I have some kids put their glasses on? There you go. Yes, kids of all ages. It's great. Yes, thank you, kids. All right, 2020. Believe in Yahweh your God and you will be established. Believe as prophets and you will succeed. That's one of the number one points of both this double-sided story. Believe in Yahweh your God and you will be established. Believe as prophets and you will succeed. It's a pretty important point. But the second point is this. To be a faith-keeping, God-dependent people... You will cry out with faith-filled urgency, even in the noise and the smoke and the grit and the dust of battle, you will cry out to him for his aid. And the reason you will cry out to him for his aid is because God is the mighty warrior, the mighty hero. You can trust him. You can bank on it. In the words of King David that we heard in the call to worship, as Pastor West was reading that from Psalm 56, verse 9, then my enemies will turn back, In the day when I call, this I know, that God is for me. That God is for me. doesn't always mean things are going to go happy and healthy, but hey, God is for you. And that's why you run to Him in prayer, because you're dependent upon Him. Now look, I know there's about three of you here, maybe five or seven, whatever. You need to hear those words again. You need to be able to take up with David those words again. This I know that God is for me. This I know that God is for me. That's one of the major points, parts of the the two stories being here. The third one is this, is that this is The way to kingdom growth. Not the bloodshed and pulling out swords and machine guns and all of that. It's the faith-keeping, faithful-praying, God-dependency. That's part of the point. This is the way to kingdom growth. This is the way to kingdom prosperity. This is the way to kingdom peace. And so those are some of the major reasons that the editors... The historians pulled out of their dusty archives the true historical stories of Jabez, but also these two snippets at the end of 1 Chronicles 5. So what about our place in the story? Do we have any place in the story? Yes. Yes. All over the New Testament, we're told repeatedly... ...that all of these Old Testament stories are ours. They're our story. They were written for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12, and many other places. But let me give you one. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, if you're right in the reference. Romans 15, verse 4. Paul has just quoted the Old Testament. And then he says this. For whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction. Oh, you mean even these two stories, this double episode? Yes, it was written for our instruction. It was written for our instruction so that we through the endurance. Anybody need endurance here? So that we through the endurance and the encouragement. Anybody need encouragement? So that we through the endurance and the encouragement of Scripture might have hope. This is our story. It's written for us to instruct us so that through the endurance and encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. So yes, we have a place in this story. And so notice that in this story then, as you're thinking of this, how does this apply? I want you to realize right up front that God is really not placing a choice in front of you. He's not handing you a ballot with the name God at the top and a box here and the name devil here with a box over here and saying, please vote for me. He's not doing that. Instead, what he is doing is he's hammering home that there are, yeah, two roads and they have significant consequences. There's the faith keeping, God dependent way that is the God enriched way. And then there's the faith breaking path that is the God snubbing way. And he shows that its end result is the traitor's end, is the adulteress's filthy soil degradation. He's not laying out a choice. He's saying, look, there's two paths, and I don't want you to take that one because that's destruction. I want you to stay over here. It's just like when I was a stubborn, ornery, um, thick-headed teenager. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Mike, you haven't changed a bit. You're right. Still ornery, still stubborn, still thick-headed, but I'm just talking about when I was a teenager. And my dad would sit me down, and sometimes mom had to do this. They would sit me down, and they would sternly say to me, son, don't keep on going down that path. Don't you see that it is a train wreck down there? It's human debris down there. It will destroy your life. You'll crash and burn financially, morally, relationally. Look, son, I want the best for you. Here's the best. That's how these two stories are put together. It's really just one story with double side because the Father is saying, look, that way is a train wreck. I want the best for you. This is the better way. And so, dear friends, then listen to the instruction of the Spirit through the enduring, encouraging, giving Scriptures of the Old Testament, the stories, and lift up your hearts and look to... Christ, the warrior God, hero. Look to Christ, the warrior God, hero. I mean, Scripture is very clear about what Jesus did at the cross, at the resurrection, and at the ascension. For example, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Or listen to the beginning of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Jesus, the Son of God, gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Or listen to 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. Where John says, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The whole point that John is making is not about the quality of our faith. It's about the quality of the one in whom we have faith. He's risen from the dead, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. And he has ascended into heaven, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, sitting at the Father's right hand, enthroned. He is King of kings, and he is Lord of lords. And so look to the mighty warrior, hero God, Christ our Lord. And be dependent upon him constantly. Finally, notice in our passage the importance of another aspect. And it's emphasized in verse 20. Prayer. You had to know prayer was coming in here. It's another episode. Just like Jabez's episode, it's another episode that prepares us to understand better what we will come up to when we get to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. And my people, my people, who are called by my name when they humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. When we come to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, you already have two episodes to explain to you what that's all about. It's all about God dependency and faithful praying. My friends... Our resurrected, ascended Lord, before His His crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, gave us a similar promise. I mentioned it last week. It's tied to the ascension. And I wonder if sometimes we don't believe. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Ascension! And whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you that the Father may be glorified. in the Son, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. He's talking about kingdom prayer. He's talking about praying for his kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about um, his world rescue operation and our pardon. If we ask, if we pray, he will answer. How do you know? Because he's ascended to the Father's right hand. The ascension means a whole bunch of good things. Great things for us. In fact, as I mentioned, this prayer is a a prayer about kingdom expansion. That's what they're basically praying as they're facing the foes of God who don't want the kingdom to expand. As they go in, they're praying and God says, yes, I want my kingdom to expand. Yes, I'm going to answer your prayer. Boom, the kingdom expands. And so it's about kingdom expansion. Notice what E.M. Bounds said. I think this is in your sermon notes. I hope it is. E.M. Bounds was a chaplain in the Confederate Army. In the 1800s, we all make bad decisions at some point, right? And over a period of years, he wrote several great books on prayer. Some of the best books around. He's a Methodist minister, or he was a Methodist minister... And he said this in one of his books. The church is looking for better methods. He wrote this in 1913. My, how few things have changed. The church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. And both the Jabez story and this story here in First Chronicles 5 is hammering that home for us. This is what God wants. He wants people who are God-dependent, who are always trusting in him, pouring out faithful praying. And so then, you B'nai Chayil, you sons and daughters of valor, this is the way of real revival and reformation. This is what it means to be reclaimed and returned to God. The cultivation of faith-keeping, God-dependency, and mighty prayer. And so look to our great warrior hero God, Jesus Christ, ascended to the Father's right hand, and call out to Him in the battle and be part of His kingdom growth and expansion. Let's pray. What great news. What a great set of stories to remind us. Lord, you really are the faithful, freeing God. Forgive us for the times that we have submitted to the vanquished and defeated deities that we once served. May we always run to you, always run towards you dependent upon you, relying upon you, submitting to you. You promised If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then I will hear from, from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. You've promised. Our Lord Jesus made the same promise. So Lord, may we always run to you in faith, in trust, in confidence of you. I pray for any today who are here who feel not like sons and daughters of valor. That they would find in these stories endurance and encouragement. That they may come to finally have hope. In your name, Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray. Amen.